Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. I'm your host, Wendy Nystrom, and today's special guest is actually a good friend of mine, Brian Moscow. He is an attorney with Greenberg Glusker. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Wendy. Good to be here. Anytime. And you are an environmental attorney, so you specialize in environmental issues with respect to the law. Could you explain to people what that means? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm an environmental lawyer at Greenberg Glusker. Our offices are in Century City in the beautiful city of Los Angeles. I've been practicing environmental law for about 18 years. My specialty is uh, contaminated sites. So I handle real estate transactions, people buying or selling property that may have some environmental impacts, corporate transactions, people buying or selling companies that own or lease property with environmental impacts. Uh, and litigation. So, you know, if someone finds themselves, unfortunately, in possession of property that's contaminated, that maybe was caused by an old dry cleaner, an old gas station, a neighbor, um, former tenant, uh, we will help those folks recover the investigation and cleanup costs that they're going to have to spend when the state or the federal government comes knocking on their door. Oh, yeah. I mean, people don't realize when you buy property or sell property, you are liable for all that contamination beneath you. Right. You know, they don't realize that comes with the package deal. <laughs> yeah, it's what we call strict and joint and several, which means you are liable regardless of whether you had anything to do with it. And you are liable for 100% of it. And even if you spilled 0% of it or one drop, you're liable for 100%. Exactly. I used to teach classes on that. So I love the fact that like strict and joint. Oh, my God, you just brought me back to my insurance days. <laughs> Good old days. Um, No, we're going to talk about something specific today with respect to water and contamination. And um, there is a program that the state now offers. I'm going to try to say this in one breath. It is the State Water Resources Control Board Site Cleanup Sub-Account Program. I hate acronyms, but we're going to go with SCAP right now because that's a lot to say in one sentence. You nailed it. What is this? (laughs) So the SCAP program was passed legislatively by the state of California a few years ago. And what it essentially does is it puts aside a pot of money for folks to investigate and clean up environmentally impacted property if they are unable to pay for those costs themselves if if they can show financial need. And there's some criteria that I know we'll talk about, but that's sort of it in a nutshell. It's money that people can use to investigate and clean up property because the state doesn't want these contaminated sites just sort of sitting out there, particularly uh, in communities. Absolutely. Now, you know, it's interesting when you say the funding is also for the investigation of that contaminant. Most most people don't want you looking for it. So that's actually a special little thing added in there. We're going to fund you to find it so you can clean it up. That's not that's not normal. I, I, I don't usually see that out there. Right. And it's it's really great that that piece is paid for as well, because you really need to know, for example, in the case of an old dry cleaner, and we can talk more about why this would be an issue at dry cleaners. But in the case of an old dry cleaner, you really want to know the chemical that was used called PCE or tetrachloroethylene perk. Uh, you want to know where is it? Is it in the soil? Is it in the groundwater? Has it spread to neighboring units within the shopping center? Has it spread to the neighborhood just across the alley from the shopping center? So you really want to know that before you start the cleanup so that you can get it everywhere that it exists. And very important within communities because it can spread. It, that particular contaminant you mentioned is very heavy. It will sink through the water table. And unlike petroleum, which floats on top. So you need to know what you're talking about. You need to hire the right people. And it's expensive. So it's good that this money's out there. Um, it is. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I did a similar program with the state of Massachusetts that would help people. And 
I worked for the, for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and we had an underground storage tank reimbursement fund. Very similar concepts. They're hard to navigate though. Yes. A lot of you know people who own the gas stations or the dry cleaners or the smaller businesses, it's a hard program to navigate. So um, what makes someone eligible for this? How can they qualify? So one, uh, there needs to be a threat of harm to human health or the environment. And most of the time you can establish that just based on the fact that there's been a release of chemicals into the ground usually. Um, the state does rank and prioritize. So as you might imagine, uh, the more chemical that's in the ground, you know, worse for the environment, the worse for you as the property owner, but the higher your likelihood of getting a grant. Um, you do need groundwater contamination. So this is a state water board program. So you do need to have impacts to groundwater in order to qualify. Uh, you need a regulatory agency directive. So you can't just sort of go do this on your own. You need uh, either the water boards or the Department of Toxic Substances Control to have issued you an order. Um, if you don't have that, if you, you know you've got a contamination problem, you can sort of solicit a friendly order. We've done that before. Hey, agency, I really want to clean this up. Will you please send me an order that doesn't look too onerous? It just says I've got to do something about it. So Yeah, not as scary. Not as scary, right? Not as scary. But if you do have a scary order, that qualifies too. <laughs> um, you need to show that you lack financial resources to clean the property up. And we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, and the work needs to involve site investigation, as we talked about source identification. In other words, where is this stuff coming from uh, and clean up? I, you know, I like the fact you mentioned, you know, even the scary letters, um, this program is to help people. So when you get the right. scary letter or the non-scary letter, any letter from any government agency is going to look scary. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've seen a True. few. Um, they are written in a way that's just terrifying at times. So this is something that helps people work through that and through their eligibility of getting those funds and finding the right contractor. That's always challenging so is making sure you get the right person in charge. Do you help with those specific services of finding the right people to put in place? We do. We do. Yeah. I have a Rolodex of contractors and consultants who I use, uh, a few of whom I really, really like, and some of whom have a lot of experience with this program because you really, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You really, even more so than a lawyer, if I dare say, you need a really <laughs> good consultant. Um, and part of that is because the application process, as you mentioned, is very Byzantine and you need a consultant with experience with the application. You also need someone who knows what they're doing because you really, the way this program works is you get a pot of money assigned to you once you're approved and that number doesn't really change. So ordinarily when you're doing environmental investigation, you'll say, let me poke some holes here. Is that, or, do I have a problem here? Yes, I do. Okay, let me expand a little out and down. Do I have a problem here? Yes, I do. And you keep going until you don't hit any more contamination. But with this program, you want to shoot the moon. You want to put everything you might possibly need in your initial application so that your sort of initial pot of money is, is going to cover everything because you can't go back to the state for more. Oh, that's good to know. This is yeah. a one and done application. That is very important. So just to clarify what Brian was saying with, you know, popping holes in the ground, when you have contaminated land, you're like, where where's the source where's it coming from so you pop some holes you find oh hot spots but then it's going to kind of migrate out and you want to find those edges so you can remediate all the way through and get every edge and that you're not missing anything and exactly. finding the right contractor let me explain why that's important um 20 years in the environmental industry i've seen some really bad players out there one in particular that i i kind of busted the guy i didn't mean to it just kind of happened but um soil remediation 
you have an option. You can do soil aeration where you stick a straw on the ground and you blow air into it and it just aerates out. You want to use that in sand. This guy was installing it in clay and then saying, oh, it didn't work. We have to start all over again and triple my price. Mm. That's a bad contractor. Right. That is someone that's taking advantage of someone who doesn't know what to do. So people like Brian will help you navigate through those bear traps, for lack of a better term. Right. And there are a few <laughs> contractors, and I don't know if the one I have in mind, I, I won't name them, but I wonder if it's the same one that you dealt with, Wendy. But there are a few contractors associated with the, you, you mentioned underground storage tank funds, and we have one of those in California too. Uh, but there are a few who were bilking that fund and have been disqualified from being able to uh, help people seek funds. And so, yeah, it's really important not to hire one of those contractors. And I'm glad they've been banned. Now, this was all back in New York and Massachusetts. Um, I started my career back east. Okay. So um, my my experiences were primarily with those guys. And Different yeah, it's equally shady. Yeah. I mean, and they, they unfortunately take advantage. And when I accidentally outed this guy it was when I was working in insurance and I was just asking questions I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. And the owner of the company was realized that he was getting bilked. And he just simply said, Wendy, I'm going to have a private conversation with my contractor and I will talk to you later. And that's when I realized, whoopsies. But, you know, all for the best because um, he had a bad contractor and you need to make sure you have the right people. Right. Um, now, you yourself have helped many small businesses. Um, I, I don't know if you're allowed to give names or anything like that, but maybe examples of, of types of industries you helped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we have really, really good relationships with the folks at the State Water Board who manage this program. And so that that's important too. So we're, we're able to sort of not necessarily move an application to the top of the pile because they, you know, they have standards that they have to follow, but we know who to talk to during, during this process. And they trust you. They do. They do because we're honest brokers. We really are. Um, but the, probably the largest industry we've helped, and, and this may seem surprising, although we've talked about it a little bit earlier today, is folks who own property that currently or historically had dry cleaners because as I mentioned, dry cleaners historically used perk. You talked about perk, Wendy, how it's a sinker. Uh, it drops through the groundwater table. Uh, it, it, uh, it's really, really hard to find when it drops to the bottom of the groundwater and hits a clay layer, say, and just hangs out there as a blob and just continues to impact the groundwater. So it's really a big problem. And, and perk was used starting really in the 1940s up and through um, right around now is the deadline for dry cleaners to phase out perk in their operations. But up through about a year or two ago, they were still able to use it and some dry cleaners still were using it. And even if an operation, well, number one, you had, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, we didn't know any better. And so folks would just dump it down the drain or they would throw it out back, uh, maybe even just dump it on the parking lot. And this stuff can actually eat through asphalt. Um, because well, it's, it's a degreaser, that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, and even, you know, more recently, or even with the best of operations, um, you know, the stuff was expensive. And so you would have uh, specialized equipment to reclaim the perk once you had used it uh, in a load of dry cleaning. You want to get it back in pure form. And the um, stills that were used to do that would inadvertently discharge small amounts into the sewer. And, you know, sewer, sewer lines leak. They just do. We have a lot of clay sewers throughout the country yeah. and in Los Angeles, and they just leak. So... That dry cleaners true. yeah yeah when um just talking about water contaminants. so my my first gig ever was um environmental consultant and i went to um a convenience store brand name 
but historically it had been an old gas station from the 20s and 30s. Again, we're going back to Massachusetts. And I dropped a water baler in and pulled out about this much of weathered gasoline. So, you know, dark black brown gasoline on top of just groundwater. Wow. And I held this baler up. I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's a lot. And it had just been sitting there for decades, just yeah. rolling around on the water table and untreated. And it was on a hill. So then I looked down the hill at all the homes and back East, we have basements. So all those basements were going to have, um, petroleum vapor intrusion so it, it's a it's a bigger problem than most people think <laughs> right you're right you're right so I you're absolutely I talked about dry cleaners but uh old gas station properties properties that people may not have known were gas station properties oh, yeah. um factories I had a client who bought what looked like you know sort of a middle of the road commercial industrial office property in Northridge California he did not do any environmental investigation and we could do a whole we could do a whole show on environmental uh, due diligence before buying property, but he didn't do any of it. Um, and a small peek at the records would have shown that one of the prior owners of the property was manufacturing printed circuit boards, which uses TCE, trichloroethylene, very similar to PERC. Uh, and the guy had been put in jail for environmental crimes <laughs> related <laughs> to just dumping his stuff at this property. So our client just you know, got it out of bankruptcy and thought he was getting a good deal and had no idea that he's now had to spend about 10 oh, I have. We, you know what? We got to do a show on, on environmental due diligence because I'll share a couple of my stories being in the field. 22 years old. I knew nothing. I walked this one site and, you know, there was an above ground storage tank. So AST. And we asked, you know, does it ever leak? Do you ever see any leaks on the ground? It's like, no, but um, when it rains, it floods. That means it's leaking. Right. And then we found out he had all this toxic waste that he shoved up the chimney of his warehouse. So I didn't think to take a flashlight and look up a chimney. I was just like, okay, you know, I saw some rings of old 55 gallon drums that had been there at one point. He shoved them all up the chimney and hit them. He went to jail. Wow. So, and due diligence is so important because the new property owners, had they not caught that, they would be responsible for all that cleanup. Because once right. the transaction's done, you're now the owner. Right. Right. And there are there are some limited exceptions, but they're very limited. And, and there are exceptions to the exceptions that basically require you to end up cleaning up the property. And we're talking millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. So it's not just like, you know, you throw a couple hundred grand at something and make it go away. We're talking extensive remediation, especially on what you have that you have to pull out of the ground. When you talk about perchlorate back east, it went into the bedrock. So, you're, you know, you have crevices and bedrock and it just gets in there and sits out. Right. And getting it out of there is tough. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely updates. So going back to the work that you do with your firm, you help people. You help people apply. You help people manage that process, which is not easy. Um, I looked at the website myself and, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand it because I have a background in this. But I think if someone were not at all had the knowledge or verbiage in this, they'd get a little lost. So. How can you help people find you, work with you, hire you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so you have my name here, Brian Moskal. The best way to find me is to Google me. Um, feel free to pick up the phone. Uh, feel free to email me. I'm happy to, to help folks out. And even if people just have a couple of questions and they're not in a position to hire you know, a, a not inexpensive environmental lawyer, I'm always happy to point people in the right direction. Um, but if they want to move forward, we, like I said, we have a lot of experience working with contractors and consultants on these sites. We have a lot of experience with 
the regulatory agencies, both on the SCAP application side, but also the, the agency folks who are going to be overseeing the investigation and cleanup. Uh, so I encourage people to reach out, if not to me, but to a competent environmental lawyer to help them out if they're in this situation. Oh, yes. Um, competent environmental lawyer is very important terminology to use because as with the contractors and the the environmental contractors, um, there are some bad characters out there that will just take advantage of a situation. You don't want that. You want to you want to go with someone who knows what they're talking about, has the relationships with the state. That is important. No, they're not going to put you at the top of the list because that's not fair, but they are going to work with you because they understand that you know what you're doing and that you're trustworthy. Right. And that is extremely valuable. That's exactly right. Um, Real quick question before I let you go. With these brownfield sites, which is what they're called, mm -hmm. and someone needs to remediate them, could someone in, invest in it, like buy a brownfield, get that pot of money, clean it up, and then sell it? I mean, is that someone who's looking to get into the real estate game? That's an interesting question. Um, they might be able to do that if they set up what we call a single purpose entity. So, mm -hmm. you know, Holdco sets up, you know, one, two, three, four Main Street company to buy one, two, three, four Main Street. Uh, and the only asset is the contaminated property. They might be able to show that one, two, three, four Main Street doesn't have the money to clean it up. The state doesn't like that very much um, because they don't want to be contributing to people's profit through this program. Um, but, but that might work. But I do also have relationships putting aside whether they're eligible for SCAP or not with uh, companies that specialize in acquiring and then cleaning up environmentally impacted property because obviously if the property is is impacted the, the purchase price is not going to be full fair market value um and most buyers don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole because of the liability issues that we're talking about but yeah. the ones who really know how it works um have made quite a good business out of knowing how much it's going to cost knowing how much of a discount they need on the front end and being able to acquire those properties clean them up and redevelop them which frankly is, is good for all of us that's what, that's where I was going because I'm like this is an opportunity to do proper redevelopment for the housing and the homes that we need right. so long as it's properly cleaned up that's the important you know it has to be properly done but that could be a really um creative way to figure out some of our redevelopment problems and shortages yeah. we're having yeah absolutely and, and they're also there there is streamlined permitting that's available for brownfield redevelopment um brownfield uh, redevelopment in infill areas meaning sort of dense urban areas has um exemptions from the california environmental quality act so the state really wants people to to buy and to redevelop these properties fantastic and uh we're, we're going to do a follow-up interview on environmental due diligence and we can share some of our horror stories absolutely <laughs> of people who didn't do it <laughs> right. on that brian thank you so much you've been a wonderful guest um Please, guys, check out Brian Moskal. That's M-O-S-K-A-L. Um, good environmental attorney. Knows what he's talking about. So solid person. So thank you again, Brian. Thanks, Wendy. Good to be here. Anytime. So um, I'm Wendy Nystrom, Environmental Social Justice. We will check you out next time. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye.